All right, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, um, grab it and meet me in the book of Deuteronomy. By the way, if you're not new here, so if you're new here, thanks for being here. If you're not new here, I normally preach for like four hours. It's going to be short today. So you can thank your kids for being in the room. Um, the book of Deuteronomy, it's a, it's a weird sounding book. It's actually the fifth book in the Bible. So if you think about it, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, okay? That's for you kids. Deuteronomy literally means the second law. The second law, that's where the name Deuteronomy comes from. And that makes sense if you think about it because the people of Israel, um, the storyline, if you think about it, covers a couple thousand years. And the story of Israel is that they were slaves in this country called Egypt and God is moving them into the promised land. Okay, as he moves them into the promised land, he gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, once, and then he does it twice. The, the name Deuteronomy literally means the second law. And here's why. Parents, here's why. How we live matters to God. That's the whole point. You notice that God is forming a people, the people of Israel, as they're moving into this place called the promised land, which is a picture of what heaven's going to look like. God pauses and he tells them, hey, I'm your God and how you live actually matters because how you live is going to change the world. Families, this is why I love being a dad so much, okay? We have our fourth kid on the way and I love, love, love being a dad. Yes, it's mayhem. Yes, but God has entrusted these little human beings to us and he's given us the greatest job on the planet. He's given us the job to shape little human beings into good human beings, right? The opportunity to pass down a way of life to our kids, which what God was doing. He took the people of Israel, his family, and he's passing down a way of life to them, a way that we should live so that we could continue to influence the lives of these little human beings and the culture around us. We have the opportunity to set the tone for life for the people around us. I don't know about you, but the greatest honor in my life is being a dad. God has entrusted these little ones to me, and I want to see them grow up. That means, parents, that the greatest mission field you have is inside of your own home. The word that the Bible uses for this most often is stewardship, not ownership. Check this out, all right? I may, this might blow your mind if you're new to church. According to the Bible, your kids belong to God, and one day they will go back to see their heavenly father, just like you and I will. And during this in-between period, God has given us stewardship over our kids to pass down a responsibility, a God-given responsibility to pour into them. He's entrusted us with his greatest gift, his image bearers, his human beings. So maybe, maybe sometimes in your weakest moments, you wonder, why was I a parent, right? I mean, we've all been there. Here's why. Because God wants to use you to change this world. Maybe, maybe you're sitting in this room, honestly, and I try to think through everybody, and you, you can't even have kids. I, I get that. To get like, that's kind of serious for a moment, but it makes me think about beautiful people like Matt and Kristen Hunter and Clayton and Katie Feltz, who saw that it's, it's just as God has adopted them into his kingdom, they have the opportunity to adopt amazing, beautiful children into their family. And what you see is God builds his kingdom that way too. Maybe you're single and you're wondering, why the heck am I in this room? Maybe you came from the hamburgers and the hot dogs. I don't, I don't know. Now, look, look around. Look around. If you're single in this room, here's what I want you to see. That the church is a family that's supposed to be united around this idea of the gospel. And we get to partner with each other to build his kingdom. This is why connecting matters so much here. Whether you're like me and you've got an army of kids in your house or you're single, 
God is building a family called the church, and we all get to participate in this thing where we, where we build the kingdom together. And honestly, you don't even understand the amazing impact that you have in this world. On my kids, they look up to you. They watch you. They, they look up to one another as they get to see what it looks like to be the people of God together. So no matter who you are, whether you have a lot of kids, you have no kids, or you can't have kids at all, God has a short message for you that I want you to hear today. Right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to what it says. Deuteronomy 6, the writer, Moses, he's going to give the people a command, and that command is called the Shema. All right? It's a really, really kind of funky word. Matter of fact, kids, why don't we say it together? All right? On the count of three, we're going to say it together. The word Shema. All right? One, two, three. Shema. Shema. It's, it's a word that doesn't translate well into English. It's a Hebrew word. It literally means to listen, but it means to listen with the intent to do something. And this is what we do all the time. My daughter was the one doing announcements today. They memorized scripture reading. All the kids did. It, it, they listened, but they listened with intent because the more they said it, the more that it became a part of who they were, and then they could memorize it and say it out loud. This command, this Shema that, that God gives the nation of Israel, it was the liturgy that they had at the time because he wanted them to repeat it so often that it became their culture. This is, this is how it works, by the way. Vision drips. You know that, right? When I'm tired of saying it, you're just starting to hear it. So we say the same things over and over and over again. And this is true in everyday life. Big speeches never move the needle on culture. It's modeling and doing the same things over and over and over again that changes the people around you. See, Israel knew that, and God knew that, that, that the most important thing they could do is say it over and over and over again so they could build a gospel culture. He wanted to celebrate the things of God in their kids so that their kids would replicate what they had learned from us and keep doing it. So what we have to do, parents, is the same exact thing. It's true in our homes and it's true in everyday life. The things that we value the most are the things that we talk about the most. And here's how you know what you value the most. When you're not talking about anything important at all, what are your kids talking about? That's a clue into what you value the most into your life. Parents, we have to have regular gospel conversations all the time. It has to be the investment that we make into our family is not just showing up here on Sunday for one hour a week, but it drips into everything that we do. And I think that that was the primary thing that God wanted the people of God to know. Hey, if you really want to see culture transform, continue to talk about it all the time. Can I tell you why this is so vital? There's a group called the Barna Research Group, and this study just came out, and here's what it said. It said only 2% of parents in America have a biblical worldview, 2%. Now, they said of that, 67% of those parents would tell you that they're Christians, and yet they knew nothing about the Bible. They didn't know that Jesus was Lord. They didn't know that he came to die for our sins. They didn't know that biblical marriage mattered. They didn't know that there was absolute morality. None of these things that they knew, and yet 67% of them claimed to be Christians, and only 2% of them had a biblical worldview at all. Why does that matter? Well, because what we teach our kids is what gets replicated in our homes and what shapes culture for the next generation. You see, it's one thing to teach your kids the Bible, but if you don't know the Bible, then you can't teach them the Bible. That's why you're the greatest missionary in your family. By the way, our team's here. We want to come alongside of you. We want to supplement everything that you're doing. And we want to do it with gospel intentionality. 
And yet, at the same time, we want, to know, we want you to know we are here to resource you, but you are the greatest discipler in your family. In our City Kids team, they are absolutely amazing. Matter of fact, if you are on the City Kids team at all, would you stand up for just a second? If you serve at all, stand up for just a second. Come on, come on. Come on, Matt. All right, li- listen, listen, stand up. Say, no, no, no. Thank you. From a dad that has kids in this thing and from a church, the investment you make in all of our kids, it matters so much. Okay, you help equip and resource us to do what we're doing. I just want you to know we're grateful for you. So thank you so much. All right, that's Shema, that word, to hear with intentionality. It's there to build culture. And that's what God wanted. He wanted our gospel fluency, if you will, to be the regular vocabulary of everything that we do in life. So listen to it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Listen to what he says. Moses says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right, the first thing I want you to see is that Shema word, that Shema word is to hear. It's the very first word that he says. It means something to, to listen up. Moses was saying, Moses was saying, hey guys, I need you to hear what I'm saying. It's the same thing. My kids know. My kids know when I'm serious. When I'm like, "Hey guys, I need everybody on the couch." All right, family meeting. I need all eyes on me, and I need you to listen up for a second. That's what Moses is saying. Moses is saying, "Israel, it's time to listen up." Now, if you know anything about the Bible, I want to teach you something. The New Testament. If you read the New Testament, the the Bible redefines the nation of Israel as the church. So, if you will, this applies to you too, because you could substitute Israel for church. Hear church, listen up, listen up, because I'm about to tell you something significant, is what he says. Next word he says, this is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let me just ask you a question, not a trick question, whose God is he? This is participation time. Whose God is he according to the text? Our God. Say it one more time louder. Whose God is he? Our God. You know, that's so important. Some of us need to sit in that for just a moment, that this is not just a God, a distant God that cannot hear you. He's a loving God, and he's your God. He's not just a God, he's our God. He is creator and sustainer. He is our father, like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He is our healer and our provider in times of trouble. He is our refuge and our strength in our times of weakness. When things get hard, I think you need to pause and you need to remind yourself that he is our God. And here's why that matters. Because you belong. You see, you belong, and because you belong, you obey. This is so important. You don't obey to belong. You obey because you belong. In the same way, you know, my kids, like the one sitting right here, it doesn't really matter what they do in life. I will always love them. Always love them. Kids, I think you need to know that. You look at your parents right now, you need to know your parents love you, like absolutely love you more than you could ever imagine. And your love, your love for your kids is not dependent upon what they do. Do you know why you love them? Because they're your kids. Now listen to me. God feels the exact same way about you. How do I know that? Romans 5 eight. he died for you while you were still in your sins. He didn't wait for you to clean up your mess, he loves you. He created you, and he views you like you are his son or daughter. That's it. Our God loves us. And you need to know this dirty little secret, kids, 
that no matter what you do, you will always be loved by us. Next one is the Lord is one. Now, I don't have time to dive into the depth of the theology of this because I promised these guys I'd get you out of here quickly. But here's what's important. You have one God and three persons. That's called the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one God and three persons that interact with us in different ways. That's what the book of Deuteronomy wants you to know. That's what the whole Bible wants you to know. And here's why that's important. The only thing I need you to hear me say right here is the same God of the New Testament is the same God that's speaking these words. That's all you need for Theology Lesson 101 today. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. You know, everything changes when you begin to love God with everything that you have. Parents, I think that this is the perspective that we have to have if we want to pass down a culture of the gospel to our kids. Notice, it's a rule of life. When God wanted to pass down what it looked like to be the people of God, he did not give them a checklist and a bunch of rules. He gave them love. I don't know about you, but when I get this right in my house, everything changes. When I love God first, I tend to be way more patient with my kids. When I love my wife, she becomes the object of my affections I tend to be more patient with my kids and loving to my family. You see, this is the key. When you reorder your loves properly, you actually create a culture for your whole family. I, I teach a parent commissioning class here on occasion, and, and I tell this story um, and about how I tell my kids, and I do, I tell my kids all the time, sweetie, I love God more than you, and I love your mama more than you, and you're not going to pit us against each other because when I love your mommy great, greatly, I actually love you better. So what I want to do is I want to reorder my loves to love God most, love your mommy next, and then love you after that. So I was teaching this class and uh, explaining this, and a, a couple decided that they were going to go home and tell this to their kids, and they said, and he says, dude, I love your mommy more, and the boy just started crying. I'm like, oh no, oh no, they're never coming back. Here's the point. When, you're, when your loves are incorrect, watch what happens. Parents, I see it all the time. You begin to project onto your spouse that they need to be your functional God. So they have to be perfect in every way. And when I do every wedding that I do, here's what I say. The reason why most marriages fail is not because you don't love each other. It's actually because you love each other too much at first. So you, you look to one another to be your functional gods, and they got to be perfect in every way. And then when they begin to fail you because they don't fulfill you the way that culture says that they should, you run. Listen to me, you're not meant to fulfill each other. You're meant to be fooling God. So what ends up happening is, is when we make each other our functional gods and it doesn't work out, then we look to our kids to fill that bucket. And honestly, they do a better job of filling that bucket than our spouses do. And then they grow up and go off to college and guess what happens? You live with a stranger and we all know how that ends. The number one most loving thing that you can do for your family is to love God primarily. Be completely full in God so that as you love him primarily, then you can love each other in all of your flaws in just the way that God made you to be. And then when you love each other in all your flaws just the way God made you to be, then you begin to love your family even better. Reordering your loves will actually change everything. So the best parenting advice I can give you is this. Love the Lord first. Love the Lord first. And here's how you do it. Verse 6. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You see, here's, here's, here it is. Push what you know about God from your head to your heart and everything changes. 
In the, in the Bible, the heart is the seat of all emotions. It is, it is who you are. Basically, what he's doing is he's saying the same exact thing another way. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Because when you love the Lord your God with everything that you have, it changes everything. To love the Lord your God like this is to give yourself to him. Listen, you love God because you are loved by God. That's it. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. You don't love God because you need something from him. You love God because you're loved by him. And because you're loved by him, he deserves to have all of you. Guys, what if today, as families, was the day that we recentered our lives around the gospel? You know everything changes when we do that. And I'm not saying be perfect. I'm not saying you got to sit down and like open up your Bible every day and sit down for three hours and catechize your kids. I'm saying it drips into every sphere of your life. It's just who you are. When you do that, the family dynamics change. You begin to create a type of culture in your home where God's not relegated to a prayer that you do before a meal, but he becomes every aspect of who you are in the good times and in the bad times. And that's why and how God designed the family to be. How do you do that? Well, check it out. Verse 7. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Did you notice that I, um, under, I highlighted the words for you? What is he saying? We teach them all the time and everything you're doing. Now, here's the deal, parents. You only teach your family what you know. And I just want you to hear me say this as clearly as possible. You're always teaching your kids what you know. The question is, is what do you know? Because you are the greatest disciple maker of your family. I get to hang out with your kids for an hour. Nelia does on Sunday mornings. And if that is your discipleship plan for your kids, do you know what's going to disciple them? Culture, TV, and school. Because they have a whole lot more influence over their lives than we do. They show up here for a fun lesson for an hour and go home. What we need is we need a holistic discipleship plan for our church and for our kids. So I want to lay out four things that you can do real quickly. Number one, learn your Bible. If you teach your kids what you know, you kind of need to know the Bible, don't you? Learn the Bible. Number two, look for teachable moments. Look for teachable moments. Notice that Moses didn't tell them, hey, hold a class on what it looks like to be a good Christian. What does Moses say? Teach them as you go. Looking for teachable moments all the time. Maybe it's on the practice field. When your kid just messes up, and you know, you sit them down, and you're like, hey, listen, God gave us amazing grace, and I don't expect perfection out of you just like God didn't expect it out of me. It's okay. It's okay. Maybe it's when you mess up. You know, there's nothing more powerful than telling your kids that you're sorry and asking for forgiveness. I promise you, there's about 76,000 times a day that I need to do that with my kids. When I lose my temper, those are teachable moments that I can just sit them down and say, you know what, daddy was actually wrong here. And I'm really sorry about that. See, it's having the space to have conversations as you go that actually can make everything change. On my way to school with my kids, we pray together. We talk about the day. We talk about what it looks like to be good kids at school and to respect your teachers and, and what it looks like to have influence in those things. Right? We try to find these moments all day long. Number three, make the gospel your fluent language. This is the key here. That means that it has to be natural. It has to be your natural language. Notice again, teach them when they sit and when you walk, when you lie down and when you rise. Never stop teaching your kids the gospel. 
ever. I think that what the, the biggest damaging thing in my life was that people told me that discipleship was sitting down over a cup of coffee for an hour with somebody one-on-one. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is bringing people along with you and teaching them as you go in everyday life. It's, it's saying, hey, you see what just happened here? Here's where I got that one wrong. Or here's where I got that one right. And sweetheart, this is what it looks like to treat kids that way. When my daughter comes home and she's talking about the things that happen at school and I can point to it and be like, yeah, that's not who we are. And here's why that's not who we are. Right? This is who Jesus is. And when your kids ask you those crazy, awesome, theologically deep questions that you don't know how to answer, do you know what the best answer is? I don't know. But let's go figure this out together. That's what it means to do it as you go. And I'm telling you, if you'll begin to do that, you will change the culture in your home. And as you change the culture in your home, you will change the culture in this city. And then you'll begin to have gospel fluency that flourishes all over the place. God's plan was not to fill up buildings. God's plan was to change a culture. And you do that as you influence all the time. All right, number four, last one. Here's, here it is, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to get to number four, but verse eight. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall put them on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here's number four. The gospel needs to be everywhere. It needs to be everywhere. And what I'm not saying is it doesn't need to be like painted on your wall at home and a little fish on the back of your car and like, you know, that kind of, that's not what it means. Matter of fact, that's what a lot of people take it to mean, and they, they mess it up because they make it too literal. What it means is it means saturation. The only way that this is possible is when the gospel is not something you do, but it's someone you are, right? You got to be a gospel person. See, the greatest parenting strategy has to shift in our lives from reading some parenting books and giving our kids every experience under the sun to investing in our love for Jesus first, and then we invest in our kids. Listen, your kids can have every experience in the world and still miss Jesus. I want you to hear me say this, and I want you to hear me say it really clearly. Some of us care more about where our kids are going to go to college than where they're going to spend eternity. And that's a problem. Listen to me, I went to Georgia Southern University, and I turned out just fine, okay? And, and, and can I say this, parents? This is going to be the most arrogant statement I probably ever make from the stage. I was an elite athlete, and I never played travel sports. I was on every rec team, never went to every, and I turned out just fine. I played Division I football and did all that, and you know what? I didn't have all those experiences. Part of that was because I grew up in a poor area that didn't get that, but listen to me. If my parents would have invested more in me theologically, it's only by the grace of God I'm standing here. If they had cared as much about that as they did as sports, I, there's no telling the mistakes that I would have not made as an adult. And, and, and you don't have to choose between the two, okay? I, wanna, I also want to say this. I want to balance that with saying this. Like, it's okay to choose sports sometimes. Matter of fact, can I, can I call you out? My buddy Chris. My buddy Chris, his, his daughter had a softball tournament today, and I said, hey, you know, I think God smiles down on you for missing church to go be with your girl and being a good dad. Like, you don't have to feel bad about that. Like, that's a good, hear me whenever I say that. There's a balance there. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that's like, you need to be in the building for everything. No, you need to love your kids well. And sometimes that means choosing to be with your kids. Totally okay. All right? But what we don't need to do is we don't need to push every experience onto our kid at the expense of Jesus. I think we have to have balance there. All right? 
I want me and my family to care as much about where my kids spend eternity as where they go to college. I want them to be good human beings, and I think that's what God wants too. Guys, the most amazing gift you can ever give to your kids is Jesus. He has entrusted you with these precious image bearers to steward for the sake of raising up the next generation of Jesus people. And the way we're going to do that, parents, is primarily by falling in love with Jesus ourselves. And then make the gospel every sphere of our life. As you're on the sports field, as you're at the tutoring session, as you're on vacation, Jesus is who you are, not what you do. Parents, your kids really are a blessing from the Lord. And Jesus, Jesus smiles down on you in the struggle as you walk through this. Listen, I got a lot of little ones in my house, and it's hard work. And you're doing a great job. I watch you all the time, and you're doing a really great job. Kids, every kid in this room, I need you to hear me say this. Your parents love you so much, and they're trying so hard. And all they want for you is for you to know Jesus and to have a good life. Elliot, come here. You can come up here. This is my little man. Hey, buddy. Can I pray for you guys? Thank you for making the investment today. Thank you for making the investment in our church. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for these kids. Thank you for our families. God, thank you that you care deeply about us. Lord, I pray that you would do an amazing work in our kids. God, even in our deficiencies, I pray that you would do a miracle. Lord, as I pray for my kids every night, would you save their souls? Would you do that for all of these kids? Lord, I pray that they don't have to have the experiences that I did because, well, because, Lord, you've, you've poured into me and my family and all the parents in this room. God, would you help us to have a healthy gospel culture, not a religious culture, one that's okay not to be okay, and one that looks to you, Jesus, for our sufficiency and needs. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.